welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. How many got that same testimony? Amen. 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 Well, let's dig in. This is our last um, sermon in our series, Rebrand, the Rebrand, and we'll be doing something a little different next week, but today is the last message. Let's dive in. We are in Revelation chapter 1. <laughs> Revelation chapter 1, verses 10 through 20. While you're, while you're turning there, please don't forget uh, several things. Remember the message on rebranding uh, generosity. I want you, everyone to listen to that this week, and that's just to be reminded of everything going on vision-wise that God has called us to do, but ultimately nurturing ourselves under the umbrella of the fact that uh, giving is uh, a part of our spiritual formation, just like spending time in the Word, spending time in prayer, um, uh, spending time with the Lord and serving the Lord, uh, baptism, communion, gathering with the saints, Bible study, uh, giving is a part of that regimen uh, and, and, and a core part of it because it involves a deep level of our heart. And so uh, we, we want to remember that. We want to remember above and beyond your normal giving that, um, that amount that we talked about. We'll be continuously contacting uh, our congregants and our attendants about uh, that because we want to keep the vision that God has given us going and growing. Somebody say going and growing, growing. And so we want, we want to continue uh, to be strengthened in our outreach ministries, both locally, nationally, and internationally. Um, just so you'll remember um, how in our giving to God, it funnels into all kinds of ministry globally. We still, many of you may be newer to Epiphany now, um, but um, we, we have a boxing program. We've invested in that. We want to invest more in that and not just through grants. Amen? Amen. After school program, we want to grow it. Amen. Amen. We want to grow the after school program. Not only do we want, not, not only want, to, want to grow that program, but we also want, we have some churches that we've invested in, um, that we've planted um, um, from this region all the way to Africa. And we still give to Africa yearly. We give over, uh, uh, over uh, uh, $25,000 a year to that initiative. And so to the initiative of helping them build compounds over there for people who don't have schools and learning environments. Um, and so we're still partnering in Malawi and the long way Malawi, Africa, and helping the pastors and the leaders over there to really make sure that ministry is done there. So if you don't know, you're a part of a local and a national and an international ministry. And so, and so, and so the, the resources that you get, the Bible says in Titus 3.14, let us learn to meet pressing needs in order that we may not be found unfruitful. And so our desire is to do that type of investment. Um, when I do Vision Sunday um, in 2020, I want to give vision with, uh, with a greater sense of resources in the church. Somebody say amen. 
Oh, y'all ain't saying amen loud enough. I want to be able to envision more for what God has called us to do and apply it with some resources to get behind it. And so that's what we need to do. We need to, we need to, so, so this giving uh, is for those resourcings. Some of the things that God placed in our hearts two years ago to do, even though we're scaling back building-wise in this season, we're, scale, we're not scaling back output-wise, ministry-wise. And so this year we focused on simplicity. Um, that was a big part of what we were focusing on as we in, regathered. And so now... As we reinvest, we're going to re-up, and now we're going to be turning the ministry and mission of what we want to do with this facility from top to bottom to max it out, and then we will be maxing out other things that God will be envisioning us to do as we do all of the different types of programming, because how many of you know God put us in North Philly for a reason? Oh, come on, y'all. How many of y'all know God put us in North Philly for a reason? Amen. Revelation chapter 1, verses 10 through 20. 1, 2, Three, read. Amen. In our last installment in our series, the rebrand, I would like to talk about rebranding Jesus. Rebranding Jesus. Um, let's go before the Lord. Father, it is an honor to be a herald, a herald of yours, a herald of your coming. A herald that you came, and a herald that you're coming again. Mighty Master, shape us as the church to be nurtured in making Jesus clear to the world. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable. In your sight, O oh God, our strength and our redeemer, in whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? You may be seated. You may be seated in his presence. Rebranding Jesus, if you, this is your first time and you're scared, saying, why are you rebranding Jesus? Well, 
Uh, we're, we're not talking about uh, recreating or uh, reconstructing Jesus. We're talking about uh, representing. Somebody say represent. It's, 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 of, it's a paramount importance in a world that uh, uh, I believe is confused about him that Jesus need to, needs to be represented. I mean, you, you can't open up TikTok or Instagram or any popular uh, outlet on social media and just put in the hashtag Jesus, the hashtag Jesus Christ, the hashtag God, the hashtag church, and particularly Jesus, and not get all kinds of manifestations of communications about Jesus. But one, one of the things for sure, the world can be confused about who Jesus is, but the church must never be confused about who Jesus is. I mean, I mean every, every now and then when somebody says something stupid about Jesus, you should have a little bit of just some indignation in you. Like every now and then something should rise up in you. It, it, it's, it's just like if somebody <clears throat> hit your child. You're like, who hit my child? You, you ready to get it on and popping. It's like a sibling in a fight. You, you ready to get it on and popping. Somebody said, it's something about, uh, 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 you know, somebody says, you joning back in the day, capping, scoring, whatever you want to call it, and say, 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 say something about my mother again. I don't know if y'all y'all did this back in the day, but you put a stick on your shoulder and say, that's his mother. If you knock that off, you knocked his mother off. And as soon as you, y'all see, y'all, that's, that's some old 70s and 80s stuff we used to do. And knock it off, and all of a sudden, soon as the hand goes off, the jaw is broken immediately, right? <laughs> that, that same type of indignation that we have about that we should have, we should fill away. You should feel a way, you know what I'm saying? When somebody says something crooked about Christ. Yeah. And, so, and so, so today, we, 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 one of the things I want to say, uh, the vast majority of Americans, put that up for me, believe Jesus was a real person. So Barna put out a study, and they asked people about Jesus and whether they believed that he was a real person. And interestingly enough, generationally, um, 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 there is a level of unanimity of the fact that Jesus is a historical person. I mean, even ungodly or un, I'm going to say ungodly, but I'll say unbelieving scholars who study history would never say anything ignorant that Jesus didn't exist. Now, they may not take it any further than that, but they'll say at least he was a historical person. Not only that, though, as we go further, younger generations, next one, are increasingly less likely to believe Jesus was God. So you got about <clears throat> roughly 50% of people in every single generation believe that Jesus is God. But you got to break down when they believe that he's God, they may believe that he's a God. There's a difference between being God and a God because if Jesus is a God, then he's my example to be a God too. So that probably breaks this down to a very low percentage. I mean, so, 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 so you got uh, 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 people uh, 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 who have different phases of that generationally. But not only that, Americans, though, are divided on whether or not Jesus was sinless. Put that up there. So for me, like, everybody pretty much believe he's a sinner. I mean, if you strongly agree, 
he's a sinner. If you agree somewhat that he sinned, you can't somewhat sin. Either you sin or you didn't sin. Disagree somewhat. Agree strongly. Don't know. And so, and so for us, we have to be clear. Look at the numbers on this. And so when we look at the level of confusion about Jesus, there needs to be clarity. And I declare today that the church must stop arguing about peripheral pool, pool, mess and begin to put our commitment and trust in making sure that we are clearer than anyone first ourselves. Because I don't want nobody telling me something that they're not clear on themselves. Now, God is not asking us to know every eternal thing about Jesus. Why? Because that's impossible. Because Jesus is God and he's God in every direction. So it's impossible to know the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent uh, uh, presence of God. God. Jesus is so massive that he knows everything active or potential. When he, when I, what I mean when he knows everything active and potential, he knows everything that's happening. He knows everything that will happen. He knows what's happened. And he knows the nuances of what could happen without busting a blood vessel in his brain. In other words, he can take every person that's ever existed, stand in front of them, make every, put every decision in every direction that those different decisions can make and see the end goal of each decision and process, interact with, and engage with each one of those people while still holding the universe together, while still holding your life together, while still walking and living and being who he is and ruling at the same time. In other words, Jesus is so powerful, he can understand and know everything and not break a sweat because his processor doesn't need upgrading. So we look at Jesus, we, we as the church <coughs> need to be more clear on. And one of the things that is interesting about us is many of us only familiarize ourselves with the incarnation of Jesus Christ, meaning his life, you know, <coughs> virgin birth and all the way to his death. We, we, we familiarize themselves, ourselves with that, we, 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 but that's only 33 years of his eternal existence. Meaning, there's more of Jesus outside of the Gospels than inside the Gospels. Okay. <clears throat> I don't know if you know this, but the one who bent down and shaped dust and made man was Jesus Christ. I don't know if you know that. I don't know if you knew that the one who did the first surgery by opening up Adam and forming Eve out of a rib with Jesus Christ. I don't know if you knew that the one uh, who said, where are you, Adam, was Jesus Christ. I don't know if you know that the one who showed up by the Oaks of Mamre in, in Genesis chapter 18 with two angels was the pre-incarnate, theophanotic Jesus Christ. I don't know if you knew that when Moses said, can I see your glory, he said, you can't look straight at me like that, family. He says, so I got to tuck you in a rock in a place I'll hide you at. I'll put my hand over you. I'll walk past you. And as I walk past you, I'll let go and I'll let you see my hind parts, but you can't see my face. That was Jesus. I don't know if you know that the captain of the Lord's army, 
is the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not closing my sermon yet, but I want to let you know that Jesus is bigger than the incarnation. He's bigger. Now, that doesn't demean the importance of his humanity. But we must know to appreciate his humanity, you got to know who him is. If you don't know who him is, you won't appreciate the all he gave up to come down for you on that cross. <laughs> but but so 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 we we caught a glimpse uh, uh, of his pre-incarnated excellence. We've been made privy to his incarnational capacity, but now we have to begin to realize his eschatological excellence. And when we look at who he is now, I guarantee you don't you, you don't understand this. It's he, he is who he was is before he came to the incarnation. But then he took on an additional nature without mixing it with the other one, but he added it to himself as a person. Now he got up from the grave, went to heaven on a cloud, sitting at the right hand of the father. He's all that he was before he came still without an upgrade. But he does have one part of his humanity upgraded, and that's his transcendent excellence. So now we see now that we're ready to see the text. One point, one point only. If you're going to rebrand Jesus, number one and only point, we must help the world to see the real Jesus. We must help the world to see the real Jesus. He says... I was in the spirit. Now, this, this ain't your in the spirit. You know, sometimes, sometimes I was in the spirit today. Hey, Laya. Hey, God, I was in. No, this is different. John is trying to craft a way to explain him having a real out-of-body experience. Now, he said, I'm going to call it in the spirit, but I, 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 but I could see. I don't know whether to call it a dream, so I'm going to just call it in the spirit. He said it was on the Lord's Day, so it was on a Sunday. Uh, uh, um, the Lord's Day isn't necessarily saying that Sunday is now the new Sabbath. It's just called the Lord's Day because that was the day he was resurrected from the grave that the early church called the Lord's Day, and we began meeting on Sunday. Amen. <laughs> and I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet. Now, I don't know if you understand this, but people always say Jesus never said he's God. First off, he's going to say it a lot of times in the next three chapters. Like, flat foot saying, I am God. And the Jews knew that's why he died. He got killed for saying he was God. That, let me just explain. That's why they killed him. Okay? Because they understood exactly what he was saying. <laughs> I'm so, 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 so here, though, if you don't have a little bit of Old Testament in you when you read the Bible, <laughs> you kind of not get the sense of what's being said. He said, I heard a loud voice. Behind me like a trumpet. Now, a Jew would be like, what? Why? Because over in Exodus, it says in Exodus 19, 16, <clears throat> on the third day when morning came, there was thunder and lightning, a thick cloud on the mountain, and a very loud blast from a ram's horn so that all the people in the camp shuddered. This was God talking. All they understood was roar, thunder, lightning, trumpet. They went to Moses. They said, hey, Moses, 
You don't have to worry about us going anywhere near the mountain. This is what we want you to do. <clears throat> you don't have to worry. Tell God we good. This is how we want this to work. Can you go up in all of that stuff up there, that cloud, that thunder, that lightning? You go up there by yourself. You go talk to him. Come back and tell us what he said. But please tell him, don't talk to us directly anymore. That was Jesus up there talking. Jesus was on the mountain talking. So when he says it was like a trumpet, this is like, I don't know if you've ever been to a concert, to kind of give you context. You ever been in a concert and you had seats in front of the speaker? And the subwoofer is right below you, and all you hear is <laughs> under you, and, you, and people try to say, what'd you say, what? You can't hear anything. The surrounding reverb of those sound waves hit you, and it shakes you, and it, and, and it puts you in a particular place. That's what it would be like of hearing a toned-down version of God's voice unveiled on earth. And so what he begins to say is he says, the voice, now his back is still turned because I wouldn't turn around either. He says, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. I just thought about this. In order to experience God, he has to upgrade your ability to experience him. You have to understand. In order for him to hear that he said that, even though his voice sounded like that, he had to do something to John's ears to help him to even understand what he was saying. See, to be in God's presence, that's why you have to be invited. You can't just go. Oh, uh, that, that's something else. But, 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 but he says, he said, I wrote to the seven church. He said, I, I want you to write to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. <clears throat> now, some people believe <clears throat> that these are phases of the church in history, seven phases <clears throat> of time. I don't tend to necessarily deal with that. My, my, my problem sometimes with people in reading Revelation <clears throat> is they, and, and it's not revelations. Do not say that. It's revelation. Why? Because there's one revelation being told in multiple ways. What's the revelation in revelation? It's only one thing revelation is trying to tell you. It's in the first clause in verse 1 of chapter 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you come away from revelation, Amillennial, premillennial, postmillennial, mid-rap, pre-rap, pre Some of y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. It's all of these views of how it's going. If you come away with just how Jesus is going to return versus seeing Jesus, then you miss the book of Revelation. <clears throat> I, I, and, so, and so here, it's, it, it, what we seem to see, uh, some people think it's a route, but what we seem to see is this is churches of all types personified in these seven churches to show what types of issues churches will go through in order for them to remain faithful to continually to make Jesus clear to the world. But the main thing that Jesus is constantly doing in the text is trying to make sure that the church understands who he is for itself. I like a book, it's called Put On Your Oxygen Mask First. I like when you get on the plane... They say, before you help anyone else, put on your oxygen mask first. Why? 
because if you suffocate and fall out, you can't help nobody else. Amen. So Ephesus, the church of Ephesus in chapter 2 is a theologically astute church but spiritually disconnected. <clears throat> in other words, truth without love. I know we don't have no churches or no churches culturally like that. They like truth but don't like people. Oh, help me today. <clears throat> they like information but don't like Jesus or don't look like him. Because you can only give what you're experiencing. The Smyrna church, they were poor, afflicted, yet resilient, financially lean, seasoned, and suffering, but standing. You have the church at Pergamon in, demon, in a demonic environment. He said, I know where you are, where Satan's throne is. That's, a, that's an interesting place to be. He said, a demonic environment as a church, yet faithfully witnessing in hard places. Not only that, the church at Thyatira compromising, uh-oh, yet faithfully enduring, half-hearted commitment to the Lord. Sardis, incomplete commitment, yet there is a remnant in the midst of that lack of commitment. Laodicea, lukewarm yet love, call to take a stand. Every church of every era and every season, at some point in time, local communities reflect one of these churches and need the exhortation of this. Verse 12, he says, Then I turned to see whose voice it was who spoke to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Now, in seeing seven golden lampstands, this is very important. Because now what you're beginning to see is that John is realizing that he is in the heavenly sanctuary. Why is this so important? The heavenly sanctuary is what the earthly sanctuary was a reflection of. In other words, when Moses was supposed to build the temple, he says, build it after the pattern that you saw on the mountain. In other words, God had a TV on top of the mountain. It's in the Bible. In order to build what he wrote down, he had to see the pattern. In other words, he gave him a picture of the heavenly sanctuary. But now John in the spirit is standing in the heavenly sanctuary. Now, now, now this is very important because this tells me a lot. Later on, we will find out that these seven golden lampstands are reflective of something. Whatever is represented in heaven by an item is being reflected on earth in some type of way. Meaning every church has a lampstand in heaven. Every church that's a real church has a lampstand and it has a light on it. So much so that if that lampstand is taking away, that points to the fact that God is not allowing that particular local church to represent his reign on earth any longer. So, so what is it saying here? is that now the golden lampstands is the churches based on verse 20. Why is that important? That means Jews or Israel is no longer the main people of God. They are a part of the people of God. There aren't two peoples of God, Jews and Gentiles. There's one people of God. This is very important. So that means there's not Messianic Jews and then the church. It's only the church. They just call themselves Messianic Jews, but it's one body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. That's, that's what this is on earth. Now, 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 now listen to, are y'all trekking with me today? And so now there's a reflection and there's a light that's expected of the church. Reminds me when I was in Little Rock, Arkansas, me and my, me and my wife used to go to this spot to get um, sweet potato pancakes. Man, I'm, oh, good God from Zion. 
sweet potato pound cakes was amazing. Um, and across the street from the spot we go was this guy that put up, he's a philanthropist, that put up lights every year. Every year he would put up $3.2 million worth of lights. Now, I don't know about you, but if my kids leave the lights on in the house too long, if somebody turn the heat on too early in the season, if they turn the air on and it ain't summer yet, because I know what the, I can't imagine what $3.2 million worth of lights were producing an electric bill. But anyway, his lights were legendary. And people would come from all over the place just to see his light show during Christmas time. But, but, and it became it, decades upon decades upon decades of this. And then his neighbors got tired of his light. And what they began to do is take him to court to get him to turn the lights off so that they would never be bothered by his light again. But what I like about the guy is he didn't let people make him turn off his lights. He fought to keep his light on. I'm hoping that the church would, would, would fight to keep our lights on no matter who tries to fight against the light that we're supposed to shine. Did you know in heaven right now there is a lamp burning in heaven called Epiphany Fellowship. There's a light burning. And the question with that lamp burning is how bright is it to Jesus? Because the Bible says he walks among the lampstands. In other words, he used his omniscience to investigate how every church is doing in relation to how it is lighting up the world with his presence. And so here we look and we see it, it, that he says, when I turn and I look, was one like the son of man. Now, when he's called him the son of man, it's pointing back to Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, the son of man was called the ancient of days. I, I like that. That's some old fly talk, the ancient of days. In other words, it just means when days begin, he always existed. In other words, there wasn't a time when Jesus didn't exist. And so they used the language ancient of days. In other words, days began, but he didn't. <laughs> I, I, I love that. And so in our world, when we, when, we, when we look at the reality of the confusion around who Jesus is, we, everybody, want, they take an aspect of who Jesus is and magnify that aspect as who Jesus is. So if they need love, they just say he's love. If they need grace, they just say he's grace. But, 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 but show Baraka going to help me out with that real quick. It said, what's your standard? Where's your stand? What's your views? What gives you the right to think the way that you do? Is it school? Is it news? Is it man's wisdom? It's religion? Why listen when you came with your own decisions? It's funny how some people see the Lord. See him as a pacifist. Some see him with a sword. The Lord who hated sin showed grace to the thief. Saved the lonely prostitute from being stoned in the street. How, he is holy, but he hung with the sinful. Drove out the wicked by flipping over tables in the temple. He took a wrongful death, yet remained silent. But he said he's coming back. And he said he's bringing violence. Many people isolate him just to make him fit their cause, never too involved in the greater context at all. So are there two Christs totally unrelated or maybe there's one Christ and he's pretty complicated? You got a complicated Christ. One minute 
He's a lamb. Next minute, he a lion. Now, for us, we don't have to be afraid of either. Because if he's a lamb, he died for us. If he's a lion, he's protecting us. But because people didn't accept him as a lamb, when he becomes a lion to him, he's coming to destroy them. But I'm glad that when I get to meet him, I meet him as a lion and a lamb, but not as a God coming after me in flaming wrath. <laughs> Says he's dressed. <coughs> I won't describe all of these, but I want us to look at something. He's dressed with a golden sash wrapped around his waist. In other words, this is a priestly garment. And what a priest is supposed to do? A priest is supposed to mediate or act as a go-between between God and the people. Okay, y'all looking at me funny. Let me see if I can make it plain. Jesus is the plug to God. He the plug. What's a plug? A plug is a person that has access to certain things, places, and people, and resources. The plug acts as a go-between. Most people who have a plug never reveal the plug because they don't want anybody else to have access exclusively to what they have access to. That's why you keep your plug secret. But the believer doesn't keep our plug secret. We make known our plug because there's enough room to get all that everyone can get because you don't have to exclude anyone else to keep getting what you get. Jesus Christ got enough resources in the warehouse of heaven to go around to everybody. So he's our, he's, he's, he's our plug. I mean, he's our plug for peace. He's our plug for healing. He's our plug for hope. He's our plug for love. He's our plug for comfort. He's our plug for self-control. He's our plug for resources. He's our plug for loneliness. He's our plug for filling. He's our plug for restoration. He's our plug for wholeness. He's our plug to God. What you need a plug for? Jesus will meet you in the alley and say, what you need? What you need? I got what you need. You fear me. Oh, verse 14, verse 14, it says the hair of his head was white as wool, white as snow, the hair now, and eyes like flames of fire. Why does it say his hair is like wool? Because that points to dignity and it points to experience and it points to Jesus's eternality as being the ancient of days. In other words, what Jesus says can be trusted. Do you believe that? Uh-uh, uh-uh. That's a rhetorical question. That's a seasonal question. Can Jesus be trusted when you're dealing with something difficult? Because, you know, we'll come to church on Sunday and shout the walls off. Then deal with a trial on Monday and think Jesus don't exist. Let me tell you, no matter what season you're in, he can be trusted. He's a worthy person to hear from and to lean into no matter how hellacious your season is, no matter how, because he will purposefully let you go through difficult and confusing stuff to see if you'll still listen to his voice. And let me tell you something. You may let go of him, but he'll never let go of you. And guess what he'll still do? He'll still speak to you. If he has to speak in the thunder and lightning, oh, he's a whisper in the whirlwind. He wants to speak to you. So his voice is worthy. Flaming eyes. I like this one. 
Because here it's in the context of the churches, not Revelation 20 yet, which means his eyes point to justice and judgment. In other words, Jesus looks into things to see several things. He, he wants to see several things. He wants to see what's in our lives. He wants to see what isn't in our lives, what must be in our lives, and then how to get the right stuff in our lives. So what he does is, this eyes of flame is not anger towards you, but burning through stuff in your life to get to what you need to have in your life so that he, you know that he always sees the truth. So you might as well tell them the truth. You ever been around your parents and, and they asked you what you didn't want them to ask you and you, were, you, you didn't work on your lie yet? And they all, soon as you begin to talk or not talk, they all know, they know already that this is a whole bunch of cap that's happening right now. Well, Jesus doesn't need to ask you a question. All he has to do is look at you. And so he wants to get to the truth in our lives. And it says, listen, it says his feet were like bronze, fine bronze as it was fired in a furnace and his voice, the sound of cascading waters. In other words, his ankles bring like bronze isn't about him being black. Let me just say this. These are symbols of his eternality. Okay, these are symbols. Because bronze in a furnace is actually orange, and when it cools, it's golden. So what's the purpose of this? Jesus has been through the process that we need to go through. Metal is melted, weakened. It's shaped. That means it's molded. But from there, it's cooled, stabilized. The ankles and feet is what stabilizes you. So his feet being like burnished brass is showing you that he was tempted in every way like you were, yet without sin and is able to stand in eternal stability. So that means when your life gets heated up, melted and weakened, God is about to shape you. I know it's hard to hear, but God is shaping some of you right now. Oh, every time your life gets heated up, it may be heated correction or just fundamental sanctification. But he's heating you up. And then after you're heated and you cool down just a little bit, he begins to mold you. But you got to understand, he has to lay you out while you're still a little bit hot and beat on some places that need to be straightened out. Work out some. And then he has to push on it, to, 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 to push it on some rocks. To, to get, and sparks may fly. But all of the things that's happening in that hard season is God is sharpening you to use you in his hands. And then... Once he's finished, he dips you in cold water and the heat goes down and you come out and he does like this. And when he sees his face, he know you're ready. Thank you. Hallelujah. It says he's, his face shine like the sun at his full strength. And then it says, when I saw him, <coughs> I fell at his feet. How many of y'all just did that? Just fainted. I don't, know, I don't know what I'm going to do when I see Jesus. I, I'm a, I, it's it's, it's going to be worse than a Michael Jackson concert in 86. 
They're gonna, I'm going to faint, and then the, the, the saints going to be pushing me over. To, it ain't going to be no ambulance. I'll just wake back up. Because you won't overheat no more. But I, I am literally going to be a full-on fanboy in heaven. I'm going to hold on to him. I'm going to grab his garments. I'm going to kiss him. I'm going to just look at him again, then hug him, then cry, then kiss him, then fall to his feet. He's going to give me a crown. I'm going to throw it back down. I'm going to say, I don't deserve it. That's what you did. And then hug his feet and look back at him again. I'm just going to be happy to see Jesus. How many of you under the sound of my voice? <laughs> I'm going to be happy to see Jesus. I, I'm, I'm going to be done in a second. So, but what's interesting is that Jesus really starts to talk crazy. He says this, I am the first and the last. He just said, I'm Alpha and Omega. In other words, he just told you, you know I'm God, right, son? I mean, right now, he's letting you know that he's God. And that's, that's, that's um, who, I, like, are you going to say that? Like, who can say that I'm the first and the last? Archangel Michael can't say I'm the first and the last. Gabriel can't say I'm the first and the last. Abraham can't say I'm the first and the last. Jesus Christ gets to say he's the first and the last. Why does he get to say he's the first and the last? Because the universe that you say, man, I'm giving this to the universe, he created that. And the universe is like, nah, dog, look, I'm pointing to him. When the stars move around, it's pointing to him. When, when the celestial ball moves on its axis at the miles an hour, it does without slowing down too much or everything will spin off or spinning too fast or everything will implode. He says, no, when you know that the earth is on its axis, I'm trying to tell you that Jesus exists. When the sun comes up in the morning, the sun is trying to say Jesus exists. When the moon comes up at night, the moon is trying to say Jesus exists. When it gets 100 degrees outside, the heat is saying Jesus exists. When the wind blows past your skin, it's the wind trying to say Jesus exists. In the fall time when everything blooms up real pretty, it's trying to say Jesus exists. He said, I brought the world into existence and I can take it out. That's literally what he's saying. I brought it in this world, I can take it out. And so... He said, I am. He keeps saying, I am. He said, the living one. He said, I was dead. But look, I am alive forever and ever. And then he said, I hold the keys to death. Hold on. How you die and got the keys to death? That's because he's God. Now, what does it mean to have keys to death? That means death has some type of locking mechanism. What's that locking mechanism? To kill us. Hades has a locking mechanism to hold us for judgment. But what Jesus is going to do when everything is done is he's going to unlock death, take it, throw it in the lake of fire, take hell and throw it in the lake of fire, and that's it. I like that. But then he says, therefore, write what you have seen. I would have been scrambled. He says, what is and what is what will take place? Listen to what he says. <clears throat> he says, the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And so Jesus, in revealing himself first to the church, notice 
before he talks about anything else, he talks about the church. And the reason why he talks about the church, again, is because he wants us to be clear on him. Why does Jesus want us to be clear on him? He wants us to be clear on him for several reasons. Number one, he wants us to be clear on him so that we can look like him. He wants the church to look like him. But not only does he want the church to look like him, he wants us, secondly, to act like him. Number three, he doesn't just want us to look like him and to act like him. He wants us to represent him. In other words, he wants there to be, no matter what church you go to, that there's brand consistency. I'm closing here. Years ago, I went to the airport when they put the Chick-fil-A in the airport. And I went up to the Chick-fil-A. And she said, how may I serve you? I said, let me have, let me have a, 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 um, a, a breakfast sandwich, but I want the spicy chicken one with egg and cheese on the biscuit. All right, got that. Boom. Got my sandwich. I got it, and she said, my pleasure. I was like, hmm. My pleasure. That's interesting. Cool. Can I have some Chick-fil-A sauce? My pleasure. Somebody spilled something. They started cleaning up. The person said, thank you for getting that. My pleasure. Somebody started acting wild towards one of the workers. They said, my pleasure. And what I began to notice is all of the workers at this Chick-fil-A kept communicating that what they were doing was their pleasure. And when I went to other Chick-fil-A's, I found out that no matter what Chick-fil-A you go to, they say, when they finish talking to you, my pleasure. Why? Because the owner of the brand wants there to be consistent communication, and they want the brand to have, listen, a identity and a reputation for having a pleasant experience to the people it serves. And so every time, no matter if, the, I've been to some other places, and they almost get up in your face, back at you, and be like ready to, ready to put hands up on you, you understand? But, 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 but Chick-fil-A, no matter what happens, oh, that's my fault, my pleasure. I, I, the church needs to stop being a raggedy hole in the wall. But what we need to begin to do is we need to have brand consistency. So when you suffer well, you should say, my pleasure. When you, when you got when you to go somewhere you call to go, say, my pleasure. Uh -oh, when you call to give a sacrifice in your life, say, yep, my pleasure. When your life is out of control and you get called out of your comfort zone, say, that's it, my pleasure. Uh, when it's time to be generous, say, my pleasure. When it's time to love your neighbor, say, my pleasure. When it's time to walk in purity and holiness, say, my pleasure. I'm closing when I tell you, we need brand consistency. And the way we have brand consistency is Alpha and Omega is driving our life. And there's nothing in your life you can't get to that the Alpha and Omega can't drive you to. I'm done. A few years ago, um, the Pope was late for an engagement at the UN. And when he was late for an engagement at the UN, he knew that if he didn't get there on time, his spot would be missed. And they don't care if you're the Pope, the UN doesn't stop for anybody, all right? And so he gets off his plane, and when he gets off his plane, the limo, he gets in the car, the limo driver. And the limo driver is driving, but he's driving the speed limit. And so the Pope taps him on the shoulder, and the Pope says, hey, can you pick it up a little bit? And when he tells him to pick it up a little bit, the guy says, sorry, Your Holiness. Um, I, I, got, I, I got so many tickets, if I get one more speeding ticket, 
my license will get revoked. So the Pope said, let me drive. So the Pope with holy regalia climbs over the seat and starts driving a limousine to the UN at full speed ahead. People are looking like, yo, that's the Pope. And, and then the police finally pulls him over and he walks up to the side of the car and he looks inside and he says, and he just walks back to his car. And his partner says, uh, he said, are you gonna give him a ticket? He says, man, I can't give him a ticket. I don't know who that person is, but whoever the Pope is driving must be really important. <laughs> Jesus is driving your life and he's in the driver's seat of your car. And when he, you get stopped, you may be revolted, but when he gets stopped, guess what? They move him ahead because the person that's most important in your life to be in the driver's seat of the life of the church is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we must consistently show off and rebrand the glory and power of our Savior. And the church said, amen. amen. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And thank you for calling us once again to show the world who you are. You sit in heaven at the right hand of the power, making intercession for us, correcting us, challenging us, and making sure that we stay faithful to who you are. Maybe there's someone here today. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder and pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.